the vibe. 
take you to that. Thank you for that victory, Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sin, who takes away our sin. The Holy Lamb of God makes us alive. Say, makes us alive again. I'll sing it with us. Say, behold, behold the Lamb of God.
has won it all. Mercy triumphs over death. Can we sing that one more time? We're going to say it is done because you know it is done. Every voice in this place, sing it with us. Say, it is done. It is finished. It is finished. Say, mercy won. I'm forgiven. Sing it. Pastor Mike, are you a proud daddy or what? That little Kristen really tore it up this <laughs> Wow. Let's bow our heads and approach the Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we gather here tonight to honor your holy name, we can't help but think of how this week started with your triumphal entry to Jerusalem and everyone crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yet five days later, they cried out, Crucify him! Heavenly Father, Please forgive us for the times that we have turned on you that quickly. For the times that we have forgotten everything that you have done for us. Help us to understand and recognize that even when our lives take a twist for the better or for the worse, you are always there with us. Help us as your people to continue to show a lost and dying world how wonderful you are. Help us to find your strength in our lives when we face the most difficult times and to never, ever forget you when we celebrate our greatest moments. I pray that tonight we'll... We will remember everything that you did for us and that we will walk away transformed, changed because we have come into your presence. Father God, we ask that you continue to guide this service and minister to each and every one of us as we lay our hearts at your altar. I pray in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Would you please be seated? And as you sit, I'd like for you to look up at the screen behind me at this video.
the powerful, powerful last seven sayings on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we want to look at tonight. We want to look at the last seven sayings of the Lord, the last seven words, what he shared from his heart. While he's dying on the cross, he's still thinking of us. He was thinking of us. You were on his mind. I was on his mind. That blows me away. We want to talk about those seven words. The first one I want to talk about tonight is forgiveness. In Matthew, I mean, in Luke chapter 23, it says that two other Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with Jesus. When they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for their clothes by throwing dice. And the crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. And he saved others. They said, let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers even mocked him. They mocked him also by offering him a drink of sour wine, of vinegar, And they called him out. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. Heavenly Father, minister to us. Speak to us during this time. Allow us to experience your presence in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I know we're passing out communion. Please be careful not to spill it over yourself or all over the seats or everything. But listen, he said, forgive them, Father. Forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. Forgive them, Lord. Here he is dying on the cross. They just finished beating him. They finished flogging him. They finished pulling out his beard. They finished putting a crown of thorn on his head. They finished flogging him with a whip that was called the cattails, and it literally had bones, and it had metal at the end of the whip, and these whips would just rip his skin open, and they had crucified him, and he's there dying on the cross, and he's got a thief on one side and a thief on the other. You have... The thief of just rebellion, and he's still mocking the Lord, saying, now, if you really are the Lord, why don't you come on down? And then you have the other thief saying, no, please remember me, please remember me, because you had the cross of rebellion, you had the cross, he's the cross of redemption, and you had the cross of repentance, and you see them really exercised here, and he's saying, listen to me, I understand what you're going through, forgive them, Lord, forgive them, because let me tell you something, when we are guilty of carrying sin and when we're guilty of doing things that wrong, he literally cried out and he said, you know what? People have a tendency to bury their guilt. They have a tendency to blame other people for their problems and why they did things or they beat themselves up and they say, oh man, I'm just a failure. I'm a failure. Why did I do this? I can't believe I did this. What's wrong with me? I can't believe I did this. And Jesus is saying, don't you understand what I want you to do if you're guilty? Don't you understand what I want you to do if you've sinned? Don't you understand what I want you to do? I want you to admit it. I want you to release it. I want you to say, you know what, Lord, forgive me. I want you to say, God, please 
take this sin from me. I'm ashamed. He says, accept responsibility for it. Just accept it. And the thief on the cross is saying, man, don't you understand? This man's innocent. (laughs) And here we are guilty. And God's saying, forgive him. They're gambling for his clothes. And he's saying, Father, forgive them. Forgive them because they failed. Forgive them because they've done wrong. And he's saying, when you've done that and you've been there and you try to hide it and you try to bury it and you beat yourself, he said, admit it and ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness because when you ask for forgiveness, amazing things will happen. God forgives you instantly, instantly. He said, this day, this day, I forgive you. You're forgiven and you're forgiven completely. Aren't you glad God doesn't just forgive you a little bit at a time like some people do? Have you ever been forgiven kind of like that, a little bit at a time? And you're forgiven a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And it's like, God forgives you once and for all. And you know what's awesome about God? He forgives you repeatedly. Even if you blew it again, he says, I still forgive you. And I forgive you again. And his forgiveness is free. It didn't cost anything. And this is why it leads me to the second word. And that's a word of assurance. Because as he's dying on the cross, he says to them, he says, one of the criminals is is sitting there and he's hurling insults at him. And he's saying, huh, so you're the Messiah, are you? He goes, prove it. Prove it. Why don't you prove it? And take yourself down from here. And man, the other one's saying, what's wrong with you? And Jesus must be saying, dude, if I take myself down from here, you guys won't have forgiveness. If I take myself down from here, you guys aren't going to be free. If I take myself down from here, you're not going to make it. And he's saying, and, and the other one's saying, man, don't you get it? Don't you fear God even when you're dying? Even when you're dying, we deserve to die for the evil deeds we did, he says, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then Jesus, remember, he, and he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I assure you today that you will be with me in paradise. Man, he's saying, I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve to go there. But let me tell you, would you just think of me? Please remember me. Just to know that I would be a thought in heaven, that I would be a thought in your mind in heaven, that I would literally be that person that you thought of. Oh, that would be wonderful because that's the closest I'll ever get to heaven. I don't deserve it. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to be there. And he's saying, no. Because you realize who I am and you realize what I'm doing and you realize what I've done. Let me tell you something. He knew he was about to face God. He knew he was dying. I've been at the deathbed of many people that, man, when they're there, they start talking a whole lot different. And they start saying, no, pastor, please pray for me. Pray for me. And I pray that God forgives their sins. He knew that he was a sinner. He knew he had sinned against God. Sometimes we act like we're good. Oh, no, no, I'm not that bad. We know we're bad. When the lights go off, you and I know how wicked we could be. And man, he knew it. And he knew that Jesus was more than just a man. Remember me when you go to your kingdom. Remember me. Man, he knew that it was only grace that was going to get him there. He knew that Jesus would save him if he asked. And that's what the amazing thing of the assurance is. He says, I assure you this day, you will be with me. This day, you will be with me. Man, the promise of God's word. 
Salvation is a free gift. It's a free gift, and it's certain you will, you will, you will. It's a relationship. Be with me. Man, he's saying, I'm assuring you of that. And you know what? It's a place that's forever. It's paradise. And you and I are going to be in paradise. And it's going to be an amazing journey. And we're going to say hallelujah to the king. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you're doing and what you've done. There's five other words that were said on the cross. Pastor Michael's going to come now and share two of those words with us. Does Pastor Mike know he's coming out? There he is. Okay. Thank you, my brother. Thank you, Pastor. Good evening, church. The word is love. The word is love. I was given the word love. The cross, the symbol that represents, that was supposed to represent nothing but shame, now represents freedom and the ultimate symbol of love. I mean, we talk about the ultimate act of love that that cross represents. We read John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. John 15, 13, I have it tattooed on my body. No greater love has a friend that he would lay his life down for his friend. No greater love, no greater love. And in his final moments in this earth, the Lord was still pouring out his love for you and I. And on top of that sacrificial love that Christ had while on the cross, he took a few other ways of demonstrating his love besides that sacrificial love that, that we can see plainly as he knew what he was going to. The book of John nineteen twenty five to 27 tells us this. Standing near the cross where Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. You see, even in that moment, he was still pouring out his love, not thinking about himself, but in others. And if you and I are going to learn from that, this is what you and I can take away, is that you and I need to love the way Jesus loved. And if we're going to do that, how are we going to do that? First, we have to look at our inner circle, and that's our family. That is our family. And first, we have to show love to our family. You and I have to learn how to show love to the family, and often we show love by how we feel that we have to show it tangibly by buying things. And, hey, let's go over here, and how can I earn your love? How can I buy your love? How can I show you that I love you? How can I do this? But he didn't know how to do that because he didn't have a dime to his name. So the Lord did what he did, and he showed love to his family by honoring his family. And we show honor 
to our family. He showed honor in those last moments to his mother, to his family that was there to support him. The Bible even talks about how to honor. Matter of fact, it's a commandment. It's not even a mandate for you and I. It's a commandment for you and I to honor our father and our mother for this is right. Well, you and I must learn how to honor our family. You and I must provide for our family if we're going to love the way Christ knows how to love and how he demonstrated his love. We need to learn how to provide much more than just bread and water, much more than just a dime and a nickel or a dollar or five. Emotionally, spiritually provide for our family. We learn how to support our family. John, I love this because John was in his inner circle. John happened to be that family that Jesus uh, was not born into, but that he was able to choose that inner circle of family that John was. And that's how he was able to support him in that moment for John. And he said, I'm going to give you something from me, John, to you. And passing this on to you. Take care of my mom for me, will you? Only we learn how to love in our, rather, once we learn how to love our family and honor them like Jesus did, we can move on to the outside parameters of our life, family, and that's treating believers as our family if we're going to learn how to love the way Jesus loved. Well, that's hard, isn't it? You ever walk in this place on a Sunday morning? How long is that line for donuts and coffee? It's hard to love somebody when you're waiting five minutes for donuts and coffee. And you see that last donut there, and you're saying, please don't get the last maple. Please don't get the, I don't know who likes maple, but somebody likes maple because they're popular. But, but it's hard to love your brothers and your sisters in Christ, right? When the, it's hard. But we treat other believers as our family. Galatians 6.10, look what it tells us in Galatians 6.10. It says, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. Especially those in the family of faith. We see this when Christ gives John the responsibility, like I said earlier, for caring for his mother. They became family, him and John. They were family. They were family. And if we're going to love how Christ knew how to love, we must see others' pain, even when we're in pain. I mean, Christ is hanging on this tree, and he, he had just been whipped with that cat, the cat of nine tails, and he's imagined that pain, and he sees his mom and says, you know what, mom, you're not going to be alone. You're not going to be alone. I'm giving you a great caretaker. I'm going to entrust you to my boy John here. John. Take care of mom for me, will you? Take care of mom for me. Because she's hurting. She's, she's not going to know how to accept this as an earthly mother. Take care of mom for me. If we're going to love the way Christ knew how to love, we need to learn to meet others' needs, even if it doesn't, even if our needs, needs aren't met. Isn't that the most difficult thing to do? That's so difficult. And so church, because when Christ was up on that cross, he was most definitely our substitute. That's how he knew how to love. That was the ultimate act of love. And that takes me to the next word, is substitution. 
Turn with me to the book of Matthew 27. Matthew 27, 45 46, uh, 45 to 46 tells us this. It says, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you abandoned me? Jesus became our substitute on that cross. You and I needed to be there. You and I, but he said, no, let me take that cross for them. He was our substitute. He took that upon himself. And what does that teach us? Because he took that in him taking our place, we take that God is holy. God is holy. For God in 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, 21 says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for, sin, for our sin so that we could never be made right with God through Christ. Rather, so that we could be made right, not never, but that we could be made right for Christ. God is holy. Let it teach us that God is holy. What else can we take away from that, my family? We take away from that, my family, that sin is ugly. Sin is ugly. You and I just pass over sin like it's just, hmm, it's no big deal. I'll pray tonight and I'll be okay tomorrow. Sin is ugly. Sin is deep-rooted. Sin keeps getting watered every time you don't repent. When you don't repent, you keep watering that sin and it grows deep roots. And the only thing that broke Jesus was becoming sin. You have to understand that the only thing that broke Jesus to ask his father, why, oh why, of all the things that he had gone through, of all the things, of all the rejection that Christ had gone through, of, of all the disappointments, of everything that he had gone through, the one thing that broke him was becoming sin. Not seeing the sin, but becoming the sin. It's what broke him. And sin is ugly. Sin is ugly. Sin separates us from God. No, it doesn't, Pastor. All I have to do is... Let me tell you how much it separates us from God. Because if we believe the Bible, then we're going to believe the Bible, not just this much of it. We need to believe the entire thing. And let me tell you what it tells us in the book of Isaiah 59 too. It says, it's your sins that have cut you off from your God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. That's how bad sin is. Sin distresses us. Sin distresses us. It's ugly. Sin condemns us. Let me tell you what it tells us in, uh, in Psalm uh, 38 4. It says, My guilt overwhelms. Whelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. My sin overwhelms me. Sin is ugly. 
can we learn from that? As he is our substitute on that cross. As he took our place. Let's not take it for granted here. Sin is ugly. But guess what, church? Sin also condemns us. But I have good news. Because came salvation. But salvation, as we can see now, and as we hear, and as we feel, it doesn't come cheap and it doesn't come free. Salvation is costly. There's no such thing as a free lunch. You ever heard that one, right? The old adage, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Somebody's got to pay for it. Somebody's got to pay for it. Galatians 3.13 tells us this, church. It says, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung up on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung up on a tree. You know who did that for you? Who did that for me? Jesus. Jesus did that for us on that tree. And salvation is costly. But how should you and I respond to that? How can you and I now respond to that and pay honor to our Jesus, to our Savior who did that for us? Right, because we have simple concepts, but we also have difficult tasks. And I'll try to come through these. Look, turn from our sin and trust Jesus for what he did. I know it's a simple concept, but it's a difficult task to ask. Trust, in, just trust Jesus for what he did and turn from our sin. We have to also live in an attitude of gratitude constantly. Have the attitude and always walk in the light and remember what the Christ, what the Lord rather has done for you and for me on that cross. Full of gratitude. A heart full of gratitude. Never taking it for granted. We must never, ever take it for granted. And when you're tempted to remember what our sins cost Jesus. Because guess what? Temptations will come, my family. In case you haven't been tempted lately with those beautiful computers we hold in our hands and we open up our social media or we're standing on a corner or we're turning on the television. They know how to tempt us, don't they? Amen. I got quiet in here. But it's true. Because when temptations come, our response has to be that we have to remember what it cost Jesus because it wasn't free. And lastly, church, the response you and I need to give is that we need to share the good news with others. Share what the Lord has done and what he has done for you and what he has allowed you to see because I love sharing the stories that I hear. I love sharing the stories that I pray for and the victories that the Lord, many victories here and those watching from home that we know, share the good news of Jesus. Amen? Give him praise. Brother David.
and it'll lead us to Brother David sharing the following. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Word is humanity. Humanity. John chapter 19, verses 28 through 29 says, After this, Jesus knew that everything had been completed so that scripture would come true. He said, I am thirsty. Jesus was thirsty. And so there was a jar full of vinegar right there. And the soldiers had grabbed a sponge and they soaked it in the vinegar. They stuck the soap on a hyssop branch and they brought it up to our Lord Jesus Christ's lips for him to drink. The thirst of Christ. This shows us, number one, that he was truly human. Our Savior was a human. Philippians 2 verses 7 through 8 tells us that Christ did not think of, think of himself as, Christ did not think his divinity as something to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself. And he chose to become a servant to serve us. And he served us all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is what our Savior did for us. Number two, he showed us that he was really the promised Savior. Do you all remember how the Bible starts, Genesis, Adam and Eve? And there's a promise, right, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And then we don't hear much about that all the way up until Jesus. And all the Old Testament tells us that a Messiah is coming, a Savior is coming. It's on his way. And where Moses failed, where Aaron failed, where David failed, where Saul failed, where Solomon failed, Jesus came in because he was the promised Savior. He was the promised King. He was the promised Messiah. In Psalm 69, verse 21, it says, they offer me sour wine for my thirst. There's prophecies all over the Old Testament reminding us, hey, the Messiah is coming. Christ is coming. He is on his way. Number three, he shows us how much he really loves us. In Romans chapter 5, Paul is talking about the fact that, you know, not everybody, very few people would willingly lay down their lives for for a virtuous man. Very few people would do it. And nobody, nobody would lay down their lives for a terrible person, for a wicked person. But Christ. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. No matter where we were, some of us before we came to Christ, we just didn't know about God. We were just in our ignorance. Some of us before we came to Christ, we were just, we were openly opposed to God. We were his enemy, but no, Christ still chose to die for us on the cross while we were yet sinners. Christ came to die for us, and in his thirst... He made a way to quench the thirst of others. Amos chapter 3 or chapter 8 tells us that there is a prophecy telling us that there's a time coming in which there will be a great famine. Not a famine of bread, not a famine of water, but a famine, a huge thirst, a hunger for the Lord. That young men, young women, they will grow faint because they are so overwhelmed with, with a thirst for the word of the Lord. And Christ came to quench our thirst. That's what he came to do. Through his thirst, he quenched ours. Through his suffering, he relieved ours. And, and, and so therefore, based on that, we should spend our entire lives serving Jesus by serving others just as he did. 
We think about the fact that, wait, who is God? Who is God that he can be served by human hands, right? What can we do to serve God? Jesus says, whenever you clothe the poor, whenever you feed the hungry, whenever you give a drink to the thirsty, it's like you're doing it to me, Jesus said. He is near the brokenhearted. And so we ought to come alongside them and serve Jesus by serving others. Matthew chapter 10 verse 42 says, And if you give even one cup of cold water to the least of my followers, surely you will be rewarded. Proverbs 25, 21 says, If your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they're thirsty, give them water to drink. That's what Christ did. And he's inviting us into this selfless lifestyle of love and life more abundantly. And so we need to quench our thirst by, number one, realizing what we're really thirsty for. I think about Psalm 63 that says, Oh God, you are my God. My soul longs for you. My, my body longs for you, God. We ought to hunger for God, or rather realize that he is what we hunger for. And instead, we often ch- try to hide, but no, we were made in his image, and we were made to be reconciled with him and to be made one with him. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, God, uh, Jesus says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. That's what we are thirsting for. That's what we are looking for. And so we need to understand also that Jesus understands our pain. In Isaiah 53, there's another prophecy about the Messiah. It says, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows. You ever felt like that? He was acquainted with the deepest grief. Yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. But he was pierced for our rebellion, family. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And he understood us. No matter what we've gone through, Jesus understood everything. He was right there with us in our suffering. Number three, we ought to stop looking for satisfaction elsewhere. Stop looking for it elsewhere. In Jeremiah, we hear about the Israelites, how they've abandoned the living, the, the fountain of living water. And instead, they dug out cisterns with, that were cracked and not good for use. And similarly, we have a tendency of abandoning this wellspring of life, and instead we go look for water everywhere else. We go look for it somewhere else. We need to remember that Christ is the one who brings living water. He says in John chapter 4, whoever drinks from, from my well, whoever drinks from my spring shall never thirst again. In his humanity, in his suffering, in his thirst, He's quenched our thirst. He's relieved our suffering through his pain, through his death. He's given us victory. And that's our next word, victory. In John 19, 28, it says that Jesus knew his mission was now finished. And so once they gave him, once they gave him that vinegar to taste, he lifted up his head. He goes, it is finished. And then he released his spirit. He gave up his spirit. Jesus told us earlier in John chapter 4, verse 34, that his nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent him, from finishing his work. But the question is, what work did he finish? What was that work? Well, number one, Jesus fulfilled the scripture. He came to crush the serpent's head, just as God had promised us all the way back in Genesis. He came to fulfill the scripture. He says in Luke 24 that everything written about him in the law of Moses and prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
And Jesus came and he did that. He said this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name for all the nations. And the message is this, that there is forgiveness of sin for all who repent in Christ Jesus. Number two, he satisfied the law. In Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us that the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our own sinful nature. But Christ came and he fulfilled the law. And he made a new way. So that way, he, he did what he did so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied. And we no longer follow our sinful nature, church. We are dead to our sins. And according to this, we are now alive in the spirit of Christ. He satisfied the law and brought us into a whole new reality of life in the Spirit. He paid our penalty also. Colossians 1.14 says, He purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. You know, back, back in the Old Testament, there were sacrifices being done all of the time for the sins of the priest, for the sins of the people. But Christ came, and with His one sacrifice, He said, It is finished. And when my God says it is finished, he means, hallelujah, it is finished in the name of Jesus. Number four, he conquered sin and death. He conquered it. In, in Romans 5.17, it says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, it caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it. Who, they will live in triumph over sin, over death, through this one man, Jesus Christ. He gave us triumph, victory over sin. And he defeated, he defeated the enemy. He defeated the devil. Colossians 2.15 tells us that he shamed them publicly in his victory over them on the cross. Colossians 1.13 tells us that he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us over into the kingdom of his dear son. He did the work for us. Sin, death, Satan, the things that we fear, the things that used to scare us, God used, Christ used to give us victory. He conquered death. He conquered sin. And he defeated Satan once and for all. But though Christ's work is finished, that does not mean that ours is, church. I think about Acts chapter 20, verse 24. That says, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me. By the Lord Jesus Christ, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God and family. That's a thing. We have nothing but good news. And I can go on and on and on and on about it. But we still have another word. So why don't we welcome Pastor Richard back to the pulpit? Praise the Lord. All the things that God accomplished just on one day, one man dying on the cross. And it brings me to the last saying on the Lord, of the Lord on the cross. And it's, as he's hanging there, it was a word of trust. In Luke chapter 23, in verse 44 through 47, it says, by this time, it was about noon, And darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. 
and the light from the sun was gone. Haven't you ever been in that dark place in life where the sun is gone and everything is dark and you just don't know what to do? And he says, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. And they shouted, and Jesus shouted, Father, Father. He had already said, it's finished. I finished my assignment. You sent me here from the day I was born till the day I died. You sent me with a mission to die on the cross. And he said, it's finished. So Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. I entrust you with my spirit. I entrust you into your hands. Father, you're my God and I give you back my spirit. I entrust you with it, Lord. And with those words, he breathed his last. And when the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. Like, what have we done? What have we done? Jesus called out. He said, we have a father in heaven. And he said, Father, I give you my spirit. I'm entrusting you because there's no one else to entrust it with. I can't entrust it with anyone else but you, my father. God is our father. He is our God. And we are to entrust our life over to him, entrust our spirit over to him. In the book of Psalm 103, verse 13, it says, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Man, he's a father that could be trusted. He's a father that could love us and care for us, a father that would entrust us and we could entrust our spirit over to him and say, God, I entrust you everything. But not only are you my father, but you're a trusted father. He's one that we could really trust. In Psalm 33, verse four, it says, for the word of the Lord holds true and we can trust everything he does. God, I could trust you. I'm putting my life into your hands. I'm entrusting you completely with my spirit, completely with my life, that you lead me, you direct me, you guide me, because I've made a mess out of my life. But Lord, you have a way to take all things and work together for good to those that love the Lord. They're called according to his purpose. You turn it around. You make it happen. You could trust it, and I could trust my God. That's why sometimes when a baby dies, we go, well, what happened to their soul? We could trust our God with our baby. We could entrust him to hold him because he's as a father to our children, to those that are mentally handicapped and, and, and have just, just some disabilities and they struggle. But our God knows how to communicate even to them and he knows how to speak into their hearts. We could entrust them. Sometimes as believers, we get confused. Sometimes we wonder and we say, what's happening? I don't understand what's happening. Why is this happening? To think he marched in on Sunday and he's the, the hero and by the end of the week, he's the zero. He's being crucified. How many times has your life started amazing and your things are going amazing for you and you're so excited and you're so happy and all of a sudden it turns that quick and it gets dark and you're like, God, what's going on? We could trust him. We could trust him for what's going on. 
we could trust him and we could say, God, thank you that we could trust you in anything. And he's doing things we can't even see. He says, Father, I trust you with my spirit. I can't see my spirit. I can't see your spirit. But you know what? God can. And God is doing stuff that we have no clue. God is doing stuff in our life that, you know what? Sometimes we wonder, why did I go through this? And later on you go, that's why I went through that. I came out stronger. I came out better. I came out more committed. God, thank you. I never thought I would be thanking you for that. And now here I am saying, wow, God, thank you. Because you're amazing. Because I can trust you even for those things I can't see. Even when I can't see the hand of God to trace it, I know it's there. Even when I can't feel him, I know he's there. See, it's not about our feelings. It's not about seeing. We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by truth, not by feelings. Because our feelings can mess us all up. Amen? Amen. Haven't you all, oh, I'm in love. I just feel, it feels so good. Oh, wow. And a month later, I hate her. Don't mention her name around me. Don't say his name anywhere near me. Like, wow, what happened there? I thought you were feeling it. No, it must have been what I ate that night. See, our feelings can mess us up. God will not mess you up. You could trust him. You could trust him even when you can't see him. You could trust him. You could trust him with your dream when you're just dreaming about it. And haven't you ever just had a dream and you start talking about your dream and you, got, you just start saying, God, I have a dream. And that dream becomes a decision. God, I'm going to start acting upon that dream, and I'm going to do something about it. And, and, and sometimes there's a delay, and we don't understand why there's a delay. And all of a sudden, there's difficulty that comes, and we're like, what's going on here? Sometimes you even hit a dead end. And you're like, man, God, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. But see, we can trust him. We can trust him to bring deliverance. We could trust them to bring freedom. We could trust them to bring that new life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, it says, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we see here now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that we cannot see. For the things that we see here now will soon be gone, but the things that we cannot see will last forever. (laughs) Hallelujah. Some of us are so hung up with material stuff. We've said it before, but you can't take a hearse and attach a U-Haul with it. You can't take it with you. It just isn't going to happen. You see, into your hands, into your hands, I entrust my spirit. God's hands are big enough to bless us. God's hands are big enough to carry us. God's hands are big enough to take care of any situation that we face. In Psalm 139, verse 5, it says, you go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Aren't you glad God's hand is big enough to bless you and take care of you and watch out for you and he could carry you and he could carry all of you and all your problems and say, watch what I'm going to do with this. I've got you covered. He's better than Allstate. You're in good hands with God. He will take care of you. Another thing, God's hands, they're scarred. Jesus took 
scars with him to heaven. Can you imagine? He left heaven. He left the throne, seated at the right hand of the Father, and he leaves the throne, and all of a sudden, he comes back to heaven after the resurrection. He comes to heaven. Can you imagine all the angels and the people in heaven say, what happened on earth? Did they give you a great victory? Did they give you a great parade? Did they treat you good? Look what they did to me. I carried these scars to remind them that my scarred hands will never forget what I did and why I did it. It's because of love. It's because of forgiveness. It's because of repentance. It's because of security. It's because of the assurance that I got you. You see, his hands are strong enough. His hands are big enough to carry us. And his hands are strong enough to keep us eternally secure. We don't have to be all paranoid. Am I going to make it to heaven or not? Am I going to, well, you know what? It really is up to you. You can walk away anytime you want. Some people ask me all the time, Pastor, can a person lose their salvation? Of course not. Oh, yeah, I don't know what happened. I had it here. I don't know where it went. You know, I had my salvation. I don't know. It's kind of like your keys. I had my keys. I don't know where they are. Where's my salvation go? Where or where did my salvation go? No, you can't lose it, but you could forfeit it. You could choose to say, you know what, God, never mind. I'd rather go to hell. Why someone would want to do that? But there's people that do. They walk faithfully with the Lord. They go, oh, that's all right. I'll be safe forever. I could go back and live like hell. No, you can't. Because you're walking away from God. You're walking away from his covering. You're choosing to forfeit. You're saying, I don't want my salvation anymore. Here it is, God. I didn't lose it. I'm surrendering it. Why would anyone want to do that? See, God could keep us. He could keep us. And he will keep us forevermore. So you know what we say? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. We come here today on one of the saddest days for all of Christianity and the greatest day for Christianity. Because without the cross, there would never be the forgiveness of sins. Man, there was a line on one of those songs we just sang. It's a new song called It Is Finished. And it said, that which was to kill him was gave us life. The cross that were to kill us gave us life. The cross that was supposed to end it all, started it all. Hallelujah. Oh, it might be Friday, but Sunday's coming. You might be going through hell on earth, but Sunday's coming. You might be in the darkest time of your life, but Sunday's coming. I'm telling you, God will open up the tomb, and glory, you will be celebrating God and celebrating what he's done. There's a song we're going to sing right now, and then right after that, I want to show you a video to prepare us for communion. I know you have your communion right now. Please hold on. I thank you that you haven't spilt it all over yourself or all over the seats. But we're going to sing this song right now, a song of surrender, a song of really focusing on what this is all about, what Pastor Mike came and talked about, what Brother David came and talked about what I've been talking about. The last seven sayings of the Lord were for us 
to hold on to the very end that he started. It was prophesied from the very beginning of earth. And here we are celebrating that prophecy. And here it is, 2023. And we continue to talk about the risen Savior. But today we talk about the crucified one. Because of our sin, he went to the cross freely. They didn't force him. He could have left any time, yet he didn't. He didn't. Would you stand with us as we sing this song? was forsaken so I will never be His grace is my salvation the Son of God the work of Calvary it is done it is Christ has won, he is risen, grace is here, love is strong. His mercy is complete. His love is not in question. The Son of God has spoken over me.
Give him praise, would you? Give him praise and say thank you to God for what he's done. Thank you, Lord. Quietly be seated. As we prepare for communion, there's a beautiful, beautiful prayer I want you to agree with. A prayer that's going to be up on the screen. A prayer that's going to be seen. So I hope and pray that you agree in prayer for what God is about to do. Would you play the video, please? Lord, I confess this with humiliation. It's shameful to admit, but it's true. I don't have the capacity to imagine the cost, the agony, the loneliness, the depravity that you took as your own. The despair of being abandoned even by your father. The suffocation in your lungs and in your heart. One friend turning his back. Then all of them. Not only Pharisees condemning you, but criminals and strangers too. How did you endure it? How did you look over my life, over all of our lives, and think that we were worth it? Your great obedience and trust of your Father made you more than any of us could ever be. Even still, you're willing to love me. Astonishing. My heart fills with sorrow and overflows with gratitude. When I look at that cross, I can do nothing more than lay my disobedience at your feet while you suffer for it. Forgive me. I know what I did. I know what I do. You're my only hope of salvation. Amen. And in the night that the Lord was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it and gave thanks. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Take this, all of you, and eat it in remembrance of me. Lord, we hold this bread in our hand, remembering everything we just heard about, everything you did for us. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you that you would love us so much that in spite of our sin, you would look beyond it. While we were still sinners, you loved us. Oh, God. Thank you. This is the bread that represents his body. You may eat it with me. He likewise took the cup. After giving it to his disciples and giving thanks, he said, take this all of you and drink from it, for this is my blood. It's a new covenant. I'm making a new promise. I'm not going to drink from this cup again until I come back for you. And I will come back for you. Jesus Christ is coming back again. And he wants us to be ready. So, Father God, we claim the blood of Jesus to keep us ready. We claim the blood of Jesus for victory over sin, victory over our life, victory over our family, 
that you would keep the evil one away. So today we hold this cup representing your blood and we claim the blood of Jesus over our life. We thank you for our salvation and we pray, Holy Spirit, seal our life with your blood. I pray in Christ's name, this is the blood of Christ. You may drink of the cup. Church, what a tremendous evening we've had together to break bread together. This Sunday is Easter Sunday. It's an amazing time. There's sometimes someone will not come to church any time in the year except Easter or Christmas. So be here to invite your friends. Invite them and tell them, look, there's plenty of room. If we pack out this room, and I'm hoping we pack out this room, we have an overflow room of another 200 people can fit. And we're hoping that you're going to bring your family and friends and loved ones, people you work with or go to school with, people that you're doing life with in soccer and baseball and basketball and all these other sports. We hope you're going to be here. But you would you stand with us? We want to celebrate the Lord. We want to thank him for what he's doing. Sing out this song to the glory of God. Just thank him for what he's done. Amen? Amen. Praise your name, Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have won it all. 
Thank you, Jesus, for tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit in this place. And thank you for the revival of our hearts tonight. We leave this place, Lord, but not your presence, Lord. And thank you once again, Lord, for filling our cup and for running it over tonight, Lord, with your spirit. With your word, Lord, and with your comfort and with your peace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, church, we still have some invitations, and we hope that you will join us on Sunday. If tonight you're here for the first time, we hope to see you back with us on Easter Sunday at 9 and 11 in one of our services. Amen.